This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I started a series on last night entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Lord, Teach Us to Pray. I remember I was in college and we had opening meetings at our school. It was uh, revival services and we had an evangelist come. And he said, young people, listen, you need to pray big prayers to a big God looking for big answers. That's well said. You need to pray big prayers to a big God looking for big answers. That quote came back to me years later. I, a friend of mine who's a pastor, Bob Graham, had been down at Southland Christian Camp as the director for years, and he said, Rich, have you ever read the life of Dawson Trotman? I said, no, I know of him. I know Dawes started the Navigators movement. He said, yeah, he was, um, he was quite a soul winner, and he got a burden for discipling people. He lived back at the time of uh, World War II, and you ought to read his book. So he gave me his book, and I remember several things stuck out to me. You've heard I go to Hawaii, you know, for me, out at Ohana Baptist, some others, every, every other year now. So I've, I've, I think I'll make my 27th trip to Hawaii this uh, June. So I really, I love Hawaii, and so I'm interested in Hawaiian history. I've gone out to the Arizona Memorial numbers of times, and what I found out was Dawson Trotman was out there before Hawaii was a state. In fact, it was in 1940, 41, that time period, and he had started a Bible study on a number of naval ships, some that you've heard of. The Utah, the Nevada, the Arizona. He was doing Bible studies on these boats. And when those ships were attacked by the Japanese, and of course you know, particularly the Arizona, some of those men never got to the surface again. You think about how God in his kindness sent a man to start some Bible studies, and you think, God promises he's drawn all men to himself. That certainly took the United States by surprise, but it didn't take God by surprise. And I mention that to you because Dawson Trotman said this about prayer. Too often we we ask God for toys and trinkets when we ought to be asking for continents, like the seven continents. He said, what's the biggest thing you've asked God for lately? That really motivated me. I put on my prayer list different groups of people that would be some of the most unlikely to be reached in the world, North Korea. Um, China, India, the Lord must love Chinese and Indians, he made billions of them, Um, the Uyghurs, Uh, I pray for Muslims around the world, Iran, Cuba, you know, and you, you can add more to your list, but I have really been praying, God, please work in these people groups, and I want to tell you, I'm astounded all the time I hear stories of God working in places where you would think They're unreachable. I mean, you figure, why is North Korea called the Hermit Kingdom? It's one of the most difficult places to reach. You know, it's allegedly shut off to the outside world. I hear stories. I met a guy. He said, yeah, I was living in China, and I would go into North Korea as a plumber. And he said, I would smuggle Bibles in with me, and I would have opportunities to witness to people. It's pretty pretty exciting when you're praying specific things and you start to see specific answers. And I want to tell you, God delights to answer prayer. So last night we started in Luke chapter 11. Why don't we review the scripture we read? And then I want to, if you weren't here last night, we'll just give you a brief overview of the first three areas we looked at. So we're Luke 11, verse 1, and it's down to verse 4. I call it, Lord, teach us to pray. That's a direct quote from the passage. So Luke 11, look at verse 1. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, 
teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we forgive We also forgive everyone that's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of you were here last night? I hope you're hearing from me. Okay, so it's you people that I'm asking these questions, all right? We started off with Jesus gave an outline, okay? This is a pattern for prayer, a template for how to pray. And he said, the very first thing you do, you say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What was the first key point last night? You remember? Praise to God. And there was a psalm particularly we went to that told us how to approach God's presence. Does anybody remember the psalm? Psalm 100. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. There's a little bit of a difference between thanksgiving and praise. Did anybody write it down? Anybody got it? What's, uh, what's thanksgiving? Ex- the expressing gratitude for what God has done. Okay, and praise is exalting God for who he is. Yeah, you guys are sharp. All right. Good job. Somebody said I talk too fast, and I do, but uh, some of you are keeping up. Good job. Think if I didn't talk this fast, we'd be here two hours. So um, praise to God. That's the first. And I want to tell you, that's an area that the Lord's really been working in my heart. So often we just rush into his presence. Lord, I need you to do this, this, and this. Yeah, okay, this is the God of the universe, and he wants fellowship with you. He doesn't want just your... Well, you know, for us men, it's your, your honey-do list. He doesn't want your Heavenly Father-do list. He wants you to come and have fellowship with him. And you can ask him anything you want. I remember when I was a kid, a lady in church said, Pastor, is it okay if we pray for my dog? He said, sure, we can pray for your dog. You know, that was okay. You can pray for your dog. You can pray about anything. I want to ask you this. When you, when you come to God's presence, is it just, God, here's what I want you to do. When we pray, we start with praise because that's a reminder of who God is. And the backdrop of who God is is what sets us up for confidence in praying, asking him for things that seem impossible. I thought of the question in Scripture, is anything too hard for God? That's kind of an ironic question. If you're omnipotent, how can anything even be hard? You know, hard is kind of a quantifier. Like, this is tough. How's it tough if nothing's too hard for you? I mean, how is it tough if nothing's hard? Nothing's difficult when you're all-powerful. So there's praise to God. Okay, number two then, we we looked at the expression which says, uh, thy kingdom come. And so what did I call that one? Petition for souls. And remember we talked about the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. There'll be a future millennial kingdom. We know that. But right now God is gathering people into an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom of souls. And so we've got to know Christ as Savior. And what would be more important than praying for all men, because he will have all men to be saved, First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I don't think there's anything more important on my prayer list than the lost people for whom I pray, because God wants to be glorified in bringing them to himself. Then number three uh, was the expression, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. What was the third point then, remember? Purpose in life. Let me ask you, how's God's will being carried out in heaven? Perfectly, yeah. And wouldn't it be awesome if God's will were being done perfectly in your world? You guys, when you're facing decisions like, okay, so I, what do I do after I graduate from school? First of all, should I graduate? <laughs> you don't need to pray about that one. You should graduate, okay? But then you pray about, okay, do I go to college? If I go to college, where do I go to college? How am I going to pay for college? Um, okay, if I go to college, what do I do with my life? How about asking God? 
See, sometimes we're afraid, like, oh, I may not like what God wants me to do. He says, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you delight in him, you'll find out it's a joy to serve God. I, I can tell you that. I was scared to death to get up in front of people and preach. The first time I did this, I was 15 years old, and I was the kid who was really shy, you know, in front of peers. I loved it. <laughs> None of you are going to be surprised by this, but the first time I preached, it was 45 minutes. Some of you are like, you ought to go back to that. That'd be really good. Uh, <laughs> I hear a lot of people say, like, first time I preached, it was five minutes. Man, I loved it. You know where that came from? That was God. I mean, I was the kid that just, you know, months before that was the heavy metal headbanger, and now I'm up, now I'm up preaching the Holy Bible. What happened? God changed me. And he can do that with you, too. So, delight in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I want to tell all of you. It's not a drudge to serve God. It's the greatest privilege. You'll love it. You guys will. None of you will ever contact me and say, you lied to me. You said I'd, be, I'd have joy if I served God. None of you are ever going to write me and tell me that. If you honestly surrender to God, none of you will ever tell me you're sorry about it. But I'll tell you, I've had too many people tell me I'm sorry that I didn't serve God. I'm sorry I didn't yield to God. So purpose in life, Lord, let your will be done just as it is in heaven. That brings us now to give us this day our daily bread. Daily means how often? Every day, yeah. Give us day by day our daily bread. Okay, so you're probably ahead of me in my outline. I've been using the letter P. We're talking about give us our daily bread. Can you think of a P word? Provision. Yeah, provision of needs. All right, number four then tonight is provision of needs. Provision of needs. And I want to talk about this. Go with me to Matthew 6 if you will, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 gives us a real perspective on money and means, you know, what God gives us to live. Matthew 6, 19 tells us, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, 401ks can fail, and banks can go broke, and you know, the Great Depression can come. But if your money's laid up in heaven, guess what? It's just totally untouched by what's happening. No moth will ever eat it. Rust will not corrupt it. In fact, it is interesting too, sometimes I, I pray about, because my mom passed away, and for the first time in my life, I've got money from mom and dad that I'm looking to invest. And, you know, the stock market's pretty volatile right now, and I'm thinking about, okay, how do I invest in... I think sometimes, Lord, I have no idea what to do, but I'm, I'm looking to you. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of whom? God. I've, I talked to a financial advisor. It's a good idea. But I'm asking God, Lord, I don't want to make a mistake. But you know what's a wonderful promise? God says, my God shall supply all your need according to, you know what he says? His riches and glory. Guess what I can tell you about the riches and glory? They're not affected by the American dollar. They're not affected by the world economy. He'll provide all your need. Drop on down to verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon's all that this world has to offer, okay, all the material things. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, the body, than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air. They sow not, that's planting, sowing. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? It's interesting, God said man's better than animals. Animals are a blessing, but don't let society tell you that man is intruder on this planet. You're much better than they. Which of you taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, a cubit was a, was a measurement like a foot and a half. 
um, who can add any length to his lifespan by fretting? I know some people, they act like worry is a virtue. You know, like, I've got to help God out by worrying. No, it's not a virtue. He says, be careful for how much? Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you worry, you sin. So he says, don't be careful for anything. Take no thought. Verse 28, why take a thought for raiment? That's what you wear, what you put on. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, of ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat, or what shall ye drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now my Bible, I circled the phrase there, all these things. What does all these things refer back to? Food and clothes, food and covering, all right? After all this stuff, the heathens seek, the Gentiles seek, those who don't know the Lord. Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of what? All these things. You know, even a lot of Christians worry about, like, how am I going to put food on the table? How, we got to have a place to live. Uh, what am I going to wear? My clothes are wearing out. The Lord, the Lord says, am I, not, am I not aware of all that? Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things. There it is. What? Food and covering, food and clothing. After, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, take no thought for the morrow. Don't be stressed about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Give us this day our daily bread. In Bible times, people typically got paid each day. So there was a coin called the denarius, penny in the Bible. A penny was a day's labor, a day's uh, money. So if you were a soldier, or if you were a sailor, or if you were a farmer, typically you'd earn a denarius. Typical wage. And you'd get paid on a daily basis. Now, in our country, a lot of people get paid weekly. Some get paid bi-weekly, every other week. Some get paid monthly. Okay, but you know, back then, you'd, you'd get your money, and that's, that's your day's wage. In our economy, not too many of us have had to learn to trust God for the daily needs. And I think sometimes we've, we've lost the simplicity of trust because of the complexity of society. And I remember when I was reading... Uh, I love reading biographies. In fact, teenagers, let me give you um, a challenge. Read somebody's biography this year, and I'd love to challenge you to read a biography of a famous Christian whose life made a difference in the world. I have read dozens of biographies over the years, and they really have helped me. Um, recently, I just I read the life story of um, William Borden. Um, I just finished up another biography recently. I read Corey Ten Boom last year. I'll tell you, every time I read a Christian biography, it really challenges me, always motivates me. Some of your avid readers, one of the best biographies I ever read was the life story of um, Adoniram Judson called Bless God and Take Courage. It was published in 2007. You want a, you want a powerful read. Bless God and Take Courage. It'll, it'll motivate you. So I read biographies, and when I was in high school and later in college, I read two men who really made an impact on me were Hudson Taylor and George Mueller. Now, many of you know Hudson Taylor was a missionary to what country? China, yeah. And he founded the China Inland Mission. George Mueller actually was from the region called Prussia, East Germany, moved to England, um, became known for what ministry? Do you remember who he focused on? Orphans. But what's interesting to me, he didn't start the orphanage to take care of kids. <laughs> Why would you start an orphanage if it's not to take care of kids? Well, ministering to Young people, kids, homeless or fatherless kids was his focus, but the reason for it was not just to take care of orphans. The Lord's always put a premium on fatherless and widows. 
And so he knows you, pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, James 1.27. He said the reason he started those orphanages, he wanted to prove to the world that there is a living God who still answers prayer. He was living in a time in the 1830s, that region, where a lot of people had given up faith in the personal involvement and the power of God in lives. In fact, you know, historically I'm thinking back, well, German rationalism had been influencing society Darwinism had been influencing society. And a lot of Christians had just gotten the idea that, yeah, we serve God, but they almost had an approach like the deists did, that God was the great clockwinder. He put everything in motion, and then he just pulled himself out of society. Mueller said, no, there is a God who is intimately concerned about the details of your life, and I want to show you that there's a God who hears and answers prayer. So he started the orphanages, and you've, you've probably heard the story one day, you know, they had run out of food, and the housekeepers came and said, Mr. Mueller, we don't have any food for the orphans, and so what do you want us to do? He said, well, let's gather them. We're going to thank God for the food, but Mr. Mueller, we have no food. She said, the Lord taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. He said, he's a father to the fatherless. Gather the children. We will pray. So they're praying. They got nothing, and there are 2,000 orphans at this time. All of a sudden, knock at the door. One of the housekeepers goes, gets the door. It's the baker down the road. He said, would you happen to need bread? Yes, we very much need bread. He said, I thought so. God kept me up all night baking bread for your orphans. So they brought in the bread. Next thing you know, there's another knock at the door. It's the local milkman. Back then, they delivered by horse-drawn cart. And he came in and said, listen, I've broken a wagon wheel out here. By the time it gets repaired, my milk will spoil. Could you use some milk for the orphans? So in came the milk. I mean, God would do this stuff all the time. And when I read stories like that, I thought, Why don't people in America today live like that? And God impressed my heart. Rich, why don't you? That's a good question. It's a fair question, isn't it? And I thought, yeah, why don't I? Can I trust God with the simplicity of faith? So I will tell you, back when I was in college, I determined, all right, I'm going to adopt the same philosophy. And Hudson Taylor said it this way, move men through God by prayer alone. Move men through God by prayer alone. I don't think it's wrong to ask people to help you with needs, but you know, a pastor asked me to give a report the other day on a trailer, and I was hesitant. I don't like to do that. You know, I just, I try to make my needs known only to God. It's fair for him to ask me that. that he, wasn't put, he wasn't trying to do something to put me in an awkward position. I'm just being transparent to say, I don't like talking about it because my eyes are on God to meet my needs, right? Now, I understand pastor's part is like, yeah, well, we kind of need to know what the needs are. So I have always thought, all right, I'll just make my needs known to God. Well, I determined I'll never go into debt for anything. By the way, my name's Rich, but that's the extent of it, okay? I am not independently wealthy. Um, so I walk into a restaurant, they'll say, uh, what's the name for the order? And they'll always say Rich, and they'll say, must be nice. I said, yeah, I wouldn't know, but it is a good name. But my father's rich, the one in heaven. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when I took interest in a gal named Angela Westberg, and we started getting really serious. I said, hey, hon, I got to tell you something. You know, if this, if this ends up in marriage, there's something you need to know. I'm sure every young girl thinks, oh, that's wonderful. What's he going to tell me? I said, I, I promised God a long time ago that I, I'd never go into debt for anything. And she said, I'm fine with that. Her dad's an evangelist. They, they live by faith. I said, hon, it's one thing when it's your mom and dad trusting God and you just see the needs met, but it, when it's you and me, and we're the ones having to go to God. We're gonna, 
I mean, I don't want to paint any rosy picture here. We're going to be trusting God for tens of thousands of dollars for trucks and trailers and that kind of thing. And I'm not going to go into debt. So you know what that means? We're just going to have to wait on God. She said, I'm fine with that. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, meaning I'm not going to lack for anything. Psalm 37.25 says, I've been young, now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Matthew 6.33, we just read, says, You seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I remember we, uh, we had just gotten married in May, of 20, uh, May 22nd of 1993, so next month will be 30 years, and we're, we're thinking, where, where do we go now? And I knew I was going to be an evangelist, but how do you get started? And I often uh, have talked to my friends, you know, and guys that I'm acquainted with in ministry, Mike Pelletier, you know, his father-in-law's Ron Comfort, that helps, and... Um, Jim and John Van Gelder, and they had a dad as a pastor who was well-known, you know, and um, the Herbsters, you know, they got a dad who's well-known, and me, <laughs> my dad's a missionary to Home Depot. So I thought, how does a guy who doesn't have any connections get in? And I, I was burdened from the book of Proverbs, a man's gift uh, maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. And I thought, if I can trust God to meet my needs, I can also trust God that I don't have to network. I don't have to market me. Um, I'll just pray and God will open the door. And I will tell you, in the 30 years of evangelism, God has given us the full schedule and he's done it. I don't work at it. I just, not that lazy, please understand. I'm not trying to be lazy, but I'm not interested in in self-promotion. And I'm telling you all this because I want to tell you that when you pray, Lord, I need you to meet my needs, he really is capable of doing that. Now you do your part, but see, so often what we want to do is we want to do our part and we want to do God's part. And there comes a place where you can't do God's part. So we were going to move up to Eagle Heights Baptist in Kansas City, Missouri. And I had traveled with Dr. Ron It's one of the churches we went to. And I thought, wow, I love this church. And right in the middle of the country, I'm going to be ministering in, you know, from coast to coast. Center of the country is a good place to be. So we prayed about moving there. Well, as we went to look at apartments and all, and the pastor asked, what are you going to do when you come up here initially? I said, well, I'd like to work for at least six months or nine months, really get to know the church family. He said, any chance you and Angela would think about teaching in our Christian school? And I said, uh, neither of us were te- trained to teach. I don't know that'd be a good idea. He said, well, here's why I'm asking. We had a, we had a couple that they, they backed out right before the school year started. I don't remember the circumstances. So we need to fill a couple of teaching spots this year. And he said, I thought if you guys had any aptitude in these areas that maybe we could use you for a year. I said, well, what are the areas? He said, well, one is um, typing, keyboarding, um, basic computers. Well, my wife was a secretarial administration major in college. And what's the other area? Well, we need an English teacher. We need uh, one Bible class filled and then seventh and eighth grade math. I wasn't very good at math, but I figured maybe I could handle seventh and eighth grade math, right? Bible, right down my alley. And English, well, it just so happened that I had an English teacher who was so adept in school that uh, English was kind of a forte for me. My parents said, you guys ought to pray about that. You ever, you ever told the Lord you're not going to do something? You know, I learned you don't tell the Lord, I will not. Because guess what you'll probably do? I'll never be a missionary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll never, you know, live in Alabama. 
You know, now I have, I'll tell you this, I have told the Lord for years I will never be a millionaire. And so far, he's letting me live out that, okay? But, <laughs> but you, don't, you don't tell God I'll never. So we said, all right, Lord, if you, want us to, um, if you want us to teach in the Christian school, we're willing. Well, he put it on our hearts to do it. So we moved to Eagle Heights in Kansas City, and I hadn't even asked about the salary. I wasn't there for the money. I didn't care about that. That was inconsequential. So, but we got up there and figured, well, I better set up a budget. So I go to look at the financial package. Now, this is in 1993, okay? And our rent in a small apartment with one room, one living room, one spare room, tiny little kitchen was $335 a month. Wouldn't you love to pay that now? Um, even then it was a deal, right? So I got our financial package. The two of us for that school year of teaching were going to earn just under $15,000. That was our combined income. I thought, oh, okay, this is not going to be as easy as I thought. So I'm working on a budget. I'm the husband, and I'm figuring out, okay. So the very first thing I always do is figure in tithe, give our Start with a tenth back to the Lord. That's the basics, right? God doesn't need your tenth. He just wants to remind you that 100% of it is his, and the tithe is a reminder. All right, factor in the tithe. Okay, then we got rent, and then we got food. That's it. There's nothing left for anything else. In fact, I kept whittling away at the food budget, and I'm not not kidding. Our, Our allotment was $1 per person per meal. Two of us, right? Two bucks a meal, three meals a day, that's $6 a day for food. I still can't make this balance. So I go to our pastor. Pastor Suter, listen, I'm not here to complain. I just need some counsel on this. You know, it's my first year of marriage. I'm trying to figure this out. And he said, oh, Rich, you can't make this budget work. He said, what we normally do is, see, we, we pay our teachers. The base salary comes from the school, and then we supplement out of the church. And usually supplemental income is based on years of teaching, um, numbers of children and advanced degrees, and you guys have none of that. So, <laughs> so we're just going to make a special dispensation to bring, oh, well, unless, no, that, that's what we'll do. I said, what was the unless? He said, no, I, I was thinking out loud. Don't worry about that. I said, Pastor, would you just humor me what you were thinking? He said, well, it occurred to me, this time next year you'll be living totally cold turkey by faith in evangelism. Maybe, maybe we would just leave the budget alone, not because we don't want to pay you, but it'd be, I said, it'd be kind of like spiritual boot camp, huh? He said, well, I, you know, the thought occurred to me. I said, Pastor, let's not touch it. Let's just leave it that way. I, I had no idea what I just signed up for. And I will tell you, there were times we were, one night my wife came and said, "Hun, we don't, we have three chicken breasts left. We don't get paid for two more days. We get paid every two weeks. We get paid two more days we either have supper tonight or we have supper tomorrow, but one night we don't have supper. I said, what about, could we have like pancakes and eggs like we do breakfast one night? Well, yeah. I said, well, that's no sacrifice to me. Let's do that. So we made it. So we got paid. All right, tithe check, rent check, went to Food for Less, the grocery store, to save money. The entire two-week check was gone. I'm not kidding. Our first year of marriage, our Friday night dates, we, we got the cheapest ice cream we could find at Aldi, we blended milkshakes in a blender, and we listened to Adventures in Odyssey on the radio. That was our Friday night date, okay? We were not living lavishly, I guarantee you that. I'd spent the whole money. I thought, what am I going to do? That week, I got a, ch- uh, a letter from my kid brother-in-law. You guys, listen up. This was really good. He was a senior in high school. And he wrote to me, hi, Rich. Hi, Angela. This is Michael. 
He said, I heard the first year of marriage could be kind of tough. Not that I would know. Ha, ha, ha. He said, God put on my heart to send this to you. There was a $20 bill inside. He said, P.S., don't even think about sending it back. I thought, I am not thinking about sending it back. <laughs> don't worry, buddy. So that was our gas money. That's how we got back and forth to the school. Remember, we got, we got down to the end of the year. One benefit was we had full health coverage. But when you're in your 20s, who needs health coverage, right? But it didn't go to the dentist. And that morning, Friday morning, okay, so I had just put the check in the landlady's mailbox for the rent. And we're going to head off to the dentist. And I realized, oh, no. Every six months, automatic deduction for auto insurance. And we're going to have, I think it was State Farm at the time, we're going to have $100 go to State Farm this weekend. Uh-oh. When you've been witnessing to the landlady, it's not a good idea to bounce the check. And so I thought, what do I, I can't, I'm not going to fish around and pull out the check, you know, like, oh man, I'm in a quandary here. Okay, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, we're talking daily. I need this in the next 24 hours. Because the bank closes at lunchtime on Saturday. I said, Angela, we need to pray. We need $100 before tomorrow the bank closes. Okay, so we prayed, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. We need $100. So we go in, get our teeth cleaned, everything's good. We're walking out to the car, and I look on the ground, and there is a bill rolled up. I thought it was one of those million-dollar, you know, those uh, Ray Comfort tracks. Uh, I reached down and unfurled it. It was a $100 bill. I went and asked the receptionist, did anybody lose any money? She said, how much? I said, you tell me the amount, the serial number, and where it was minted. I, here's, here's my phone number. If anybody comes to claim, nobody ever claimed it. I thought, how did that money get there? You know, did it float down from, probably not. Probably some dentist on his way to his Porsche dropped small change. I don't know how it got there, but, you know, it was there when we needed it. And by the way, don't go looking around for like 100 bucks because it, it has never happened that way other than that time, right? But it's amazing how God does it. I was telling Pastor the other day, we, you know, we had been praying for a truck and trailer, and, and I'm not going to rehash that whole story. There's one other one I want to tell you, but in, in our ministry years so far, we've gotten uh, three different trucks and two different trailers, tens of thousands of dollars, and I can tell you I owe nobody anything. Now, I don't have anything, but I don't owe anybody anything because it's just hand to mouth. It's God's hand to our mouth, right? And, uh, and by the way, I'm not crying. I, 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 I signed up for this, but I'll tell you what an awesome way to live. So um, we needed a truck. Uh, we, we launched out into evangelism. The night we launched out, our home church took us an offering, $4,700. Amazing. So I opened an account that next day. Incredible. I mean, I hadn't saved a dime all year, prayed in everything, and I opened a savings account with almost $5,000. Hallelujah. So that was toward a truck and trailer. Got back to the church. Pastor said, hey, widow in the church, when you have this, toward your trailer, it's a check for $11,500. I thought I should have been an evangelist a long time ago. What in the world? Well, hear me out, okay? So I went back to the bank. They must have thought I'm a drug dealer. Every few hours I'm coming with. And, and no significant amount of money came in for the next four years. I, the Lord poured that out as a handful on purpose to say, I'm going to take care of your needs. But I mean, for four years we lived in people's homes. Okay, so this week I'm staying with the Radices. The Radices know how to treat people. The Radices is like the Radisson, okay? So that's a great place to stay. And by and large, the people that kept us were very kind and nice. But I want to tell you, it's not easy for a wife to move every Saturday into some other woman's house and live there all week and then move out the next Saturday to another house and 
Two of those four years, we had a child. Our baby came along, and up to two years of her life, we were staying in people's homes. One time, we're on our way back to Kansas City, and I'm praying from Florida to Kansas City, Lord, we, we really need a truck and trailer. It's been four years. I'm not ever going to quit. This is what you want me to do, but I sure need a home for my wife. Would you please do something? Our church that Sunday, the pastor said, hey, Rich, I want you to come up, give us a report on what's happening out there. By the way, we took an offering for you this past week. Here's a check for $5,500. Wow, tears are coming. The Lord's here in prayer. So we now have, I forget, 20-some 20, 20 thousand dollars in the bank, okay? And again, I'm living hand-to-mouth. I, I don't know if you know how it works. Evangelists, at least for me, I can tell you, we don't get missionary support like missionaries do. We, whatever comes in, that's what comes in. That's fine by me. That's how we, how we roll. So, you know, when you're living, it's whatever comes in goes out. How do you get ahead? It's got to be the Lord. It's got to be the Lord. So I remember talking to my pastor. He said, okay, you have enough money maybe to pursue a truck or trailer. I said, yeah, I think we do. He said, so what are you going to pursue first? I said, I think I should pursue a truck because if our van dies, at least I'd have something to drive around. He said, yeah, good idea. Got any, got any thinking? I said, yeah, Tom Farrell. Last year he told me, Rich, I'm going to get a diesel truck, and if you want to have my gas truck, I'd like to sell it to you. Okay, Brother Farrell, I'd be interested in that. So... He was in Kansas City like we were, and I called him up the next day. Brother Farrell, Rich Tozer. Hey, brother, how you doing? I said, well, I'm doing fine. I said, could I talk to you about that truck? Hallelujah! He was excited. Well, Brother Farrell's excited, you know, so. Um, I said, Brother Farrell, I don't know if you still have that truck, but, you know, a year ago you offered it to me, and I'm, I'm interested, but until last night I don't think I would have been in a position to make you a reasonable offer, but I, I think maybe I could now. He said, brother, let me tell you something. I was talking, about, uh, talking to the Lord about you yesterday. He said, Lord, Rich Tozer doesn't go into debt, and neither he nor I know when he's going to get that money, but you do. And if you want him to buy my truck, would you have him call me this week? I called him the next day with the money. Bought his truck. Paid he gave me a killer deal. It only had 50,000 miles on it. So I got a couple, couple thousand dollars left to spare in my account. And we start looking for a trailer, and I'll fast forward the story. Um, back then, we, the internet was new, okay? Can you guys believe it? There used to not be an internet. And, uh, and you used to have to plug into the wall, crackle, crackle. And uh, so we're searching RVs across the country. I was praying for a 40-foot Travel Supreme with three slide-outs, and one popped up, and it was in Virginia Beach, Virginia. In case you didn't know, you're a long way from Kansas City here, right? So... How much did they want for it? Well, they wanted $33,000. So I called him up and said, you know, here I'm an evangelist and um, I, uh, I, I don't go into debt, you know, and I'm looking for uh, something. And they said, well, I, I, what's the best you could do? They said, uh, we could do $29,500. What I forgot to tell you is Easter that year, our home church had given us an offering of $22,000. And our church didn't have a lot of white-collar people in it. These are mostly, you know, working-class people. $22,000. And so, short story is we sold our van, because I got Farrell's truck, and that was not my truck. We, we drive one of the men in my church from Kansas City out to uh, Virginia Beach. I've not seen the trailer. A guy, Brother Farrell, knew, went and looked at it for me and said it's a good, tra good trailer. One night I had stayed up sketching my dream plans for a trailer, thinking, why am I doing this? I'm never going to get a new one. You know, and you get used, you get what you get. We walk in, 
to the trailer in Virginia Beach. It's exactly the floor plans I sketched out that night that if I could get what I wanted. And I, you know, my prayer is always, Lord, I don't need new, but it'd be nice to have nice. You're not a junk dealer. So, um, amazing. Oh, and when I backed Farrell's truck up to that trailer, his pickup truck had been pinstriped to match exactly the striping on that Travel Supreme trailer. I want to tell you, the Lord provides over and over again. I'll tell you just one more. In um, 2010, we've got a baby coming along. Surprise. I turned 44 the week the baby was born. My wife was just shy of 40. And uh, so Lene's going to come along. We're in a trailer now that we have worn it out. That trailer I just told you about, we had lived in from 1998 until 2010. Mold and, you know, rickety, and we need to replace it. So I've been praying, Lord, we really need a trailer. And I don't, you know, publicize this. So pull up in Ohio, and a guy that I know is a youth pastor at the church where I often go, he says, uh, you guys happen to be looking for a trailer. I said, yeah, who told you? He said, well, no, he told me. I just, you've had the same trailer since I've known you. I figured you might need a new one. He said, you know so-and-so, former evangelist? I said, oh, yeah. He said, he's selling his trailer. Um, would you be interested? I said, I heard about that a year ago, but I thought he sold it by now. He said, no, he still has it. I said, well, here's my email address. See if he'll send me some pics. So I'm out with my brothers-in-law, and my wife gets an email, and she says, have you seen this trailer? I said, no, he just, I just told him about it. He just told me about it. She said, you've got to look at this. I think it's the one. So we're in West Carrollton, Ohio, near Dayton. The trailer's in Xenia, which is about a half hour away. So I called the fellow up and said, could I go look at it? He said, yeah, my, my dad has custody of it. It's on a, uh, what do you call it, a storage lot. Go meet him tomorrow, he'll show it to you. So we're, we're walking around this trailer, and my daughter, Heather's in the back room. It's got three bunks. I was now praying for a uh, 40 to 43-foot trailer. This is 43 feet with uh, four slide-outs, has four slide-outs, a back bedroom for the kids. My daughter says, Dad, look at this, three bunks. Brianna, me, Lynette, baby, you know? And uh, my wife's looking at this giant slide-out, which, now listen, when you hear that my trailer is like 400 square feet, you think, wow, that would be awesome for camping. Camping, yes. Living, yeah. But you know, hey, 400 square feet on the road, I'll take it, all right? It's a good deal. So my wife looks at this giant slide-out and says, wow, that's that's really nice. And then I look at this double refrigerator freezer. I think this is the one, right? So I, I called the friend up and I said, hey, I'm looking at your trailer. This is incredible. I said, I'd be extremely interested. How much are you asking? He said, well, I'm only asking what I owe the bank. And he had paid like 113000 for this thing. And I said, what do you owe the bank? He said, um, 50. I'll take 49.5 for it. I said, I will tell you, it is more than worth that. I would pay it right now if I had the money. I said, but I don't. I, in fact, I only have about half of that. I said, you know, I don't, I don't go into debt for things. And so I, I he said, yeah, I've always really respected that about you. I said, well, that's really kind. I said, but the, the factor is it doesn't get us any money. So, you know, it's either the Lord or we don't get it. I said, so I'll call, if I get the money, I'll call you back. He said, tell you what, I won't sell it. If somebody makes an offer, I'll give you at least two weeks to come up with the money before I'd sell it to anybody else. I said, Jason, you don't owe that to me. He said, no, but I really, I really want to, I'd love to see God do this, okay? So we got about 25,000, okay? I need close to 50. So my wife says, what do you think? I said, I think we pray about this. So I called my pastor, and I said, pastor, I think we just looked at the trailer, the, the next trailer. He said, 
tell me about it. I tell him, he said, that's incredible. He said, what are they asking for it? I said, uh, 49.5, you know, $50,000. How much do you have? I said, right about 25,000. Dead silence. Pastor, everything all right? He said, Rich, I got to tell you something. I wasn't supposed to tell you this till next week. Okay? He said, you remember we had another little church in our area. They closed down because they, they dwindled down to next to nothing. And he said, uh, they dispersed their assets among other churches of like faith. And we received $10,000 from that church. He said, we voted last Sunday, we're going to give your family the 10000 toward a trailer. I said, that's amazing. He said, yeah, but the reason you haven't heard from me yet is because this coming Sunday, we were going to have a business meeting, and the deacons and I had already talked. People were going to give additional. We'd already determined that on top of that 10000 we were going to give you another $15,000. I'm crying. My daughters say, why do old people always cry when something good happens? I say, I don't know any old people. Who are you talking about, right? Good. Yeah, all the time. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Look, George Mueller did not get answers to prayer because he was George Mueller. Hudson Taylor didn't get answers to prayer because he's Hudson Taylor. I don't get answers to prayer because I'm an evangelist. We have a loving father. He's no respecter of persons. Provision of needs. Let me just wrap it up here. It won't take me long to give you these other two. They're pretty simple, but let me, let me just say, I, I'm preaching on prayer, not just as a doctrine. I'm praying it'll be the passionate practice of your life. God delights to answer prayer. You guys, I hope you'll start learning to pray now. I learned to read my Bible every day when I was a teenager. I wish I learned more earlier in life. I wish I'd learned earlier in life the, the significance of prayer. I mean passionate prayer. I mean just make prayer a part of your life. You start with five or ten minutes a day and I'll tell you something. It'll change you. It'll change your world. Um, notice this back in our text. He says this. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive everyone that's indebted to us. Isn't it interesting he likens sin to a debt? Let me give you a few scriptures. I call this pardon for sin. Number five is pardon for sin. Let me just throw out a couple scriptures. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Yeah. I wondered, why is this number five in the list? Because, you know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Um, then there's Proverbs 28, 9, which says, He turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer shall be abomination. Abomination was a word used in connection with idolatry. How can prayer be an abomination? He says, if you turn away your ear from hearing God's law, he's going to turn his, way, his ear away from hearing you. If you're not listening to God, why should he listen to you? Hmm. Then there's this, and I believe this is, this is the resolution to my dilemma. I was wondering, why is it number five on the list? I can't presumptuously come to God and pray knowing something's wrong. Well, Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says this. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer thy gift. I don't think the context is talking about presumptuous sin, but have you noticed this? When you spend some fervent time in prayer to God, you really become much more sensitive on matters of sin. Some of us have been meeting in, a, in the pre-service prayer meeting. I want to tell you, there's been a holy atmosphere in that place. And it's not because of us. It's because of God. And when you're 
stilled before the Lord, you're quiet before the Lord, all of a sudden you're sensitive to things. Well, you ever go into the dentist and all of a sudden a, a, a nerve is exposed and like ooh, everything you drink is, oh, sensitivity? When was the last time you had that kind of uber sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? When you're in prayer, all of a sudden you're, oh, you know, I, I think I hurt her feelings. I think I hurt that guy. I think I offended that person. So pardon for sin is not saying, well, I'm going to pray and okay, finally I'll get around to dealing with sin. No, it's like a new level of sensitivity to God. And now, oh, Lord, forgive me. That brings us to the last one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The final one on the outline here is protection from evil. Protection from evil. You know, the way that's worded, it sounds ironic. It almost sounds like, now, God, would you stop leading me into temptation? He does not lead anyone into temptation. James 1, 13 to 16, okay? No, it's not saying, don't keep leading me into temptation. It's like a child who says, Mom, Dad, hold my hand and lead me. Lead me where? Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. You see, I believe protection from evil is talking about two things. One is protection from evil doings and also evil happenings. Protection from evil doings and also evil happenings. How about Psalm 34, verses 6 and 7? The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. How about Psalm 91, often called the soldier's psalm? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. He goes on to say, a thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Later on, thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. He talks about providential protection. Have you seen God's providential protection in your life? Man, I have so many times. I think so many times nearly averted accidents or, or harm that was averted. Um, how about this one? 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God's faithful. He'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will also with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He, he makes an escape route from temptation. I just couldn't help myself. No, you can. If you know the Lord, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That's a great chapter to memorize on, on uh, uh, getting victory over sin. Let me go one more place as we finish up tonight. Go to James chapter uh, 5 for a minute. We'll finish here tonight. James chapter 5. 2001, I had the opportunity to go to Israel on a, uh, a trip with Tom Farrell and Jimmy DeYoung. And it was going to be an amazing opportunity. My wife and I were scheduled to go. I, I paid the preacher's rate and somebody had donated for my wife to go free. Two nights before we were supposed to go to Israel, um, our, our, our middle, no, our youngest daughter at the time, Heather, she's the middle one, she was about one. Born in 99, yeah, a little over one. She came down with some kind of flu. She was literally on IV in the hospital. Same hospital where we would, I told you the story the other night, lose that third child. And so we're, uh, lose, I mean, you know, the Lord took the child. So we're in the hospital, and I'm thinking we're supposed to be going to Israel 
and she's got a fever of 104, whatever. and I know, you know, we have 104, we're all going to die. Inf- toddlers can have that, and they'll, they'll make it. But um, it wasn't looking good. And I remember, I'm in Pensacola, my church is back in Kansas City. I called back home and said, uh, Pastor, if I were home, I'd ask you to come to the hospital and follow this principle of James 5. Yeah, I know you've done that before. I'm not there, but I'm down here. Pastor Shetler had been my pastor. He's my parents' pastor. Don Smith, who used to be at Emmanuel in Mechanicsburg, was our pastor. He's here. Could I have the pastoral staff here come and pray with us like James talks about? He said, by all means, of course. And I contacted them. Pastor Shetler, would you be willing to do this? He said, Rich, we'll be right over. So it's James 5. Look at verse 13, if you will. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. If he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So it's this whole prayer of faith. You know, what is the prayer of faith? Well, some have the idea, boy, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. And if you don't get healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Well, now, quantifier here. Do you think Paul had a lot of faith? Yeah, and I remember one time, actually three times, he says he besought the Lord for a thorn in the flesh. And what did God say? Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength's made perfect in weakness. And you know what he then said? Okay, I'll glory in mine and the power of Christ may rest upon me. You can't make the case that Paul wasn't healed because he didn't have enough faith. Paul didn't get healed in that case because God said, no, I have something different I want to do. And when I, and one of my plans was to preach on Psalm 91 this week. I don't think I'm going to get to it. But I, I love to preach on that passage because, you know, when he says a thousand shall fall outside, okay, I've heard stories of your church even this week. Accidents, car accidents, motorcycle accidents. We, we all know people that died, COVID or, does God mean it or doesn't he? So uh, Pastor Shetler came to the um, hospital with Dr. Smith and prayed over our little Heather, had a vial of oil put on her head. Listen, the oil is not what heals. The oil is this picture of the spirit of God, okay? So it's, it's a picture. Put oil on her, prayed over. Next day, she turned the corner. Now, my wife did not feel comfortable going to Israel after that, which I understand. I didn't like it, but I understood that. You know, what mom wants to leave their kid. She said, you need to go. Yeah, but I've traveled the world without you. No, you need to go. So I'm traveling the world without her again. And, uh, but, but I will tell you, we saw God answer. But I remember a few years before that, there was a couple church in Kansas City. She was uh, 40 years old. They had, at that time, I think they had five or six kids. And she got diagnosed with leukemia, aggressive leukemia. And they, they called for the pastor to follow this pattern that we're talking about here. And she said, I know God's fully capable of healing me, and I expect God to do it. And so they prayed over her, and three weeks later, she died. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So, and I, this is kind of a crude analogy, but you've heard the term Russian roulette, you know, where you put one bullet in a chamber and you spin it, and hopefully you don't get the chamber that has the bullet in it. Is praying these kind of prayers just Russian roulette? You know, maybe God answers, maybe he doesn't. Is that how we're to look at this? No, no. Look, you all know this. The scripture says the wages of sin is what? Death. It's appointed unto men once to die. We are all eventually going to die, right? So what does it mean? 
You're not gonna die until God's time if you're walking in fellowship with God. Now sometimes his time is not our time. I didn't expect to lose my dad at age 65. My wife didn't expect her sister to die at age 34. But I want to tell you something. The prayer of faith is not like, oh, if I just have enough faith, God's going to do what I want. The prayer of faith is I have absolute confidence that God can do this without any other help. If he chooses to do otherwise, I trust him because he knows all and I don't. That's what I've come to the resolution on the prayer of faith. Protect us from evil. I want to read to you as we finish an amazing story. And um, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to see God answer. Many years ago at a Bible conference, the late Dr. D.M. Stearns had a question hour. One of the questions handed to him read, If you prayed all your life for the salvation of a loved one and you got word that that person had died without giving any evidence of repentance, having lived a sinful life, what would you think of prayer itself and of the love of God and his promise to answer? It was a striking question, and everyone in the room wondered how he would respond. Well, dear sister, he began, I should expect to meet that loved one in heaven, for I believe in a God who answers prayer. And if you put that exercise upon your heart to pray for that dear one, it's because doubtless he intended to answer it. Then he told this story. Many years ago, there was a dear mother in Philadelphia who had a very wayward son. This young man was brought up in church, but he had never trusted Christ, and he drifted into everything unholy. He'd gone off to sea, had become a very rough, careless, godless sailor. One night his mother was awakened with a deep sense of need upon her heart. Once fully awake, she thought of her son and was impressed he was in great danger. As a result, she got up and prayed earnestly that God would undertake for her boy whatever, uh, whatever his need was. She didn't understand, but after praying for several hours, there came a sense of rest and peace. She felt sure in her heart God had answered Getting back in bed, she slept soundly till the next morning. Day after day, she kept wondering why she'd been awakened in the middle of the night and moved to prayer, but somehow she could not feel the need to pray for her son any further. Rather, she praised God for something which she felt sure God had done for him. Several weeks passed. One day, the mother heard a knock at the door. When she opened the door, there stood her son. Entering the room, he announced, Mother, I'm saved. Then he told her this amazing story. He explained how a few weeks earlier his ship had been tossed in the mid-Atlantic by a terrific storm. There had been no hope of riding it through. One of the masts of the ship had snapped and the captain had called out for the men to cut it away. As they stepped out, he among them, cursing and reviling God because they had to be out on such an awful night cutting away the mast, suddenly the ship gave a lurch. A great wave caught the young man at that moment. He was swept overboard. As he struggled helplessly with the enormity of the waves, the awful thought came to him, I'm lost forever! Suddenly, he remembered a hymn that he had often heard in his boyhood days. There's a life in a look at the crucified one. There's a life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look to him and be saved unto him who was nailed to the tree. He cried out in agony of heart, Oh God, I do look. I look to Jesus. In that moment, he was carried to the top of the waves and lost all consciousness. Hours afterward, when the storm had subsided, the men came out to clear the deck, and they found him lying unconscious, crowded up against the bulwark. Evidently, while one wave had carried him off the deck, another had carried him back again. The sailors took him to the cabin and gave him restoratives. Then came the words, uh, that when he came to, the first words from his lips were, Thank God, I'm saved! From that hour on, he had an assurance of salvation that meant everything to him. 
Having finished his story, the mother then told her son how she had prayed for him that very night. They discovered it was exactly at the time when he was in such a desperate plight that God had answered. Now suppose, Dr. Stearns continued, that young man's body had never been brought back to the ship. Suppose he had sunk down into the depths. People might have thought he was lost forever in his sin. But God in his loving kindness not only saved him, but he permitted him to come back and give testimony of God's wonderful saving grace to his own mother. I could tell you other stories like that. True stories. Folks, we often say prayer changes things. You know why? Prayer changes things because on the receiving end of prayer is God. It's God who changes things. We need to pray big prayers to a big God looking for big answers. I want to ask you to stand with me tonight. The intention of this message is to show you how big God is and how powerful he is. Oh Lord, I pray that you would magnify yourself in our eyes. You don't need to be any bigger. There there is an immensity to you that's indescribable. You are beyond comprehension. You hold the seas in the span of your hand. It's incredible. How do we fathom you? We can't. But I pray you would indeed be magnified in our eyes. And I pray you would teach us to be a praying, expected people. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.